So if you're looking to pick up a new hobby, pick up learning about your relationship with money because it'll be with you to the day you die. And actually afterwards, because what you set up and what you pass down for your family is going to be there. So the more you time you invest in it and have a healthier relationship and show boundaries and example setting of what a healthy relationship could look like for those around you, the better you're going to do for everybody. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-Word. Welcome to episode 138 Exploring Money Stories and Financial Wellness with Erica Wasserman. In this episode, I am delighted to have Erica Wasserman, the CEO of Your Financial Therapist. This was a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed diving into Erica's story and then transitioning into her role as the CEO of Your Financial Therapist. Erica brings a wealth of knowledge on how we can unravel and detangle our money stories to find out the hidden treasures really that are lying in our stories waiting to be seen. Erica has a fascinating background that really allows her to excel in a role which includes traveling around the world, working in many different locations in the world and as we talk about on the show doing her own work which has allowed her now to empower individuals, couples, and companies to reshape their perspective on money. Erica also talks about these wonderful cards that she created called Let's Talk About Finance, Baby. These are cards, like playing cards, 50 of them, that have insightful questions or statements about money. And you'll see in this episode, she asked me a couple of them, and they really had me thinking. During this episode, we talk about the power of our money stories. Money stories is something that we talk about often on this podcast, and that's intentional because our money stories have so much influence on our entire financial health, why we think, feel, and do what we do with money. These money stories are so important, and we talk about how we can start to unravel and detangle these stories and how Erica helps individuals on a daily basis, really untangle their own money stories to help them gain perspective by doing two things that I thought were interesting, merging and untangling money stories. You'll hear Erica explain how she merges and untangles money stories. We also talk about the importance of doing our own work, especially when we're helping other people do their work. It's so important that we do our own work so that we can gain awareness, empathy, and understanding. Erica also talks about meditation and the role it played in her journey. And I think for many, meditation plays an important role in their journeys. And we talk about couples and financial narratives. Such a complex, fascinating subject is not only do we have to understand our own often unconscious money stories, But when we co-mingle our money with others, like a spouse, we then have to understand their stories 
and create the time and space that allows us to consider both stories, ours and our spouse's. Erica provides some great suggestions on how we can do this. And some of those suggestions are to get her wonderful cards, Let's Talk About Finance, Baby. Before we head on to the conversation, if you've been enjoying these podcasts, I would love it if you can support the show by heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. If you can take a couple minutes, that would be greatly appreciated. And before we get into this conversation, I highly suggest you consider these Let's Talk About Finance cards. They are super interesting, and I think it's a wonderful thing that Erica did. Now, I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Erica Wasserman. Erica, welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. I'm so happy to be here. I, I'm happy to be here too. And I was about to just talk about hockey again, but I'm not going to do it. Florida Panthers beat the Bruins. But anyhow, Erica, let's talk about you and your journey. I'm delighted to have you on the show. I have seen your name, your work. I thought we would start by you taking us back on your journey before you became a financial therapist to when what I have heard you say online is you were at a crossroad. Can you just take us back to, maybe there were several, but whatever crossroad is coming up when I ask this question, what was happening and what was life trying to teach you maybe about money and this journey that we call life? Like all of us, life's a roller coaster. And that's really how I describe it, right? We're going to have ups and downs and lefts and rights and twists and turns. That's just how it unfolds. There's never a straight line. At least I haven't met anybody with a straight line. Maybe you have. Um, So life comes with twists and turns. I was getting divorced with three children under the age of four and was at crossroads. Yeah, we can call that crossroads. And I found meditation during this process. Somebody, a cousin said, you know, why don't you just try and do some practice and and meditation. And hopefully that will help calm you during this crazy period of your life. And in that practice, I had to ask myself three questions. Who are you? What do you want? And what's your purpose? What's your dharma? And for me, it was really interesting because it changed every day. And then I finally started figuring out who I was, what I wanted, and what my purpose was. And my purpose was to, to help people take the higher road when life circumstances come their way. Because I was doing that, raising the kids, going through my divorce. This is 10 years ago. So we're talking, then the journey continued, being a single mom, my father passed away, helping my mom through that transition, and just always taking the higher road. And with that also meant financially. And because I had a strong sense of finances with my financial background, and being able to talk about it and having confidence in the relationship I had with money, I was able to do these when all these roller coaster moments happen in my life. So when I discovered financial therapy, it was this big aha moment where I was like, yes, this is what I was talking about 10 years ago of like, how do I help people? And my purpose is to help people go through life transitions or life in general taking the higher road with their relationship with finances. So I am so happy to be here today. I'm extremely passionate about it. And I love what I do. Thank you for that. We can hear the tone that you hold, that you are passionate about this. 
I think that's very, very important. Taking the high road, I, I want to stick on that. You, you kind of explained taking the high road from your specific life experience. When you work with people or when you've, yeah, let's start with working with people. What does this taking the high road mean? And I say that, I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes we might say, ah, taking the high road, just forget it. Like, I'm just going to move on. But what, what does taking the high road mean when you bring in the financial therapy of maybe it's not just forgetting it? And can you just maybe touch on it? I don't know if you understand what I'm saying there. It's, I don't think you're saying, oh, just forget about it. I'm going to take the high road. So maybe just dive a bit deeper into taking what that taking the high road means. That's a great question. So when I was going through my divorce, again, a family member gave me a book and it said, hit them where it hurts. <laughs> and that was the messaging that was out there was, you know, make them pay for it and suffering and, you know, and I'm using as you can't see, but I'm like, you know, boxing and growing really hit them where it hurts when it comes to money. And we actually took a very different approach. He and I sat down and we said what was best for our kids and we communicated and that's taking the high road. We still set boundaries and we still, we had a growth mindset of when it came to our kids. We had, what does she say? Let's say she's four, a four, a two and a one-year-old. So I wasn't worried about the now. I was worried about how am I going to grow these children into good human beings and how we as a team could do this. So hit them where it hurts wasn't really going to help me, but having a growth mindset was, which is how can we grow these children together? How can we grow a contract, which is really what a divorce document is, in the way that's going to illuminate everybody here? Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you understood my question there because I feel like it wasn't coming out properly, but that's exactly it is. And I, I think that perhaps you can expand even more on this this coupleship of commingling money stories that form together when we get in partnership. And from your experience through the, the certifications around financial therapy that you've taken, what have you learned when people come together and we have these commingling of money stories that can be quite revealing for ourselves, let alone the other person? How have you seen people been able to navigate our own money stories and their own money story or their spouse's money stories so we can continue to take the high road, even if the high road means still staying together, but just helping us see the other person has a story in addition to ourselves? It's a great question. On average, it takes five months to say, I love you to your partner. On average, it takes nine months to disclose financial information. <laughs> and then I ask this question a lot of times in my workshops, and some people are like, never, two years, right? I said on average. That's crazy. I'll ask you, did you say I love you first or how much you make in your salary? Oh, I've got a funny, weird old money story. I feel like I probably said I love you first, but I would... Now you're making me think. I would have passively tried to show it, and that was my problem, is passively show maybe some dominance or control because I was fearful of losing money, but I don't think I specifically said it. So no, I follow into your statistic. Sorry, I had to stumble through my thought patterns there. Yeah, because we don't think about it. No. And so what happens is we get into a relationship with somebody we love and adore and you know, you see these wonderful qualities. You don't know their credit score or how much debt they have or their salary potential. Things can be going on credit card. There's credit card debt that's there. And all this is exposed later on, which creates conflict. So now you have two people that love each other, that are in a committed relationship, that have conflict. 
but don't know how to communicate on it because we as a society don't share tools and techniques and set examples on how to have healthy financial conversations. So we're really setting up couples for disaster. So what I do with couples is get them together and first understand what they're coming from. Our money beliefs are come from three ways, in my opinion. The first is your background, how you're brought up, how the dinner table discussions goes on spending and saving and investing or doesn't go in some cases. The second one is religion. Money doesn't buy happiness. You give a certain amount to charity. The man has the ultimate decision-making. The third is experiences. You had a good experience buying your first car? Well, heck, you're going to want to go out and buy another car. You had a bad experience. The dealer treated you poorly. You're not going to want to do it again. So basically, those three things create your financial beliefs. And after that, we really stop working on it or talking about it. So now you're with a partner. You've had very different background, religion, and experiences. So it's no wonder whether you don't see eye to eye. So the first thing we have to do is break down to say, who are you? How are you showing up financially? One of the fun questions that I have that I like to ask is, describe to me your economic class growing up without using dollar amounts or class. So can you do that for me, Sean? Don't use Amba's low class, middle class, or we made a certain dollar amount. Share with me something from your childhood that would tell me where you would fall financially. I'm going on the hockey theme. If we went to a hockey game, I knew not to step into the apparel store in the arena because, yeah, it was expensive and you can get better deals at the the, the mall when they have their two-for-ones or 50% off. Interesting thing on this is a month ago, I took my son to the game and he stepped foot in and wanted to get a jersey of his favorite player in that in the arena, in that store. And I was like, whoa, no, we don't step foot into those things. So that was an experience, I think. Did I say dollars? No, I didn't. No, you didn't say okay. dollars. You did a great job with that. Did he get something from the store or are you passing down the treat of we go buy it outside the stadium? So I'm trying to be flexible in when I feel something very rigid to be like, ooh, I should look into that instead of being rigid. And funny enough, I text my dad, who's the one who raised me. And I was like, dad, Lewis wants to get a jersey. They're actually 50% off here. I'm telling myself I can't get it. What should I do? And it's funny that I, I messed my dad on that. And he's like, you only live once, YOLO. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like from right. the guy who didn't ever buy me one there. Right. The fun part about being a grandfather. He can yeah. say, YOLO, you're mine, yeah. right? Yeah. So he got the jersey. It was 50% off. Right. Ah, interesting. Well, 50% off. So yeah, yeah. that's really neat. And I love that you called your dad on that because <laughs> he's your accountability partner or somebody that you bounce ideas off of. And going back to partnerships, it's so important to have an accountability partner is somebody that you can bounce ideas off of. Does this make sense? And your dad was like, yes, that makes sense. Go for it. And if you said no, you would have rethought the situation. By having somebody that you trust, it could be your significant other, but it also could be a cousin, a mentor, a friend that you can talk to about money. Because when we don't have that, we hold it internally. And like any part of our wellness, when we hold things internally, it turns to illness. It turns to stress. It turns to irritability. All of these, insomnia, right? All of these things that 
are not wanted in our lives. We want happy, beautiful lives. But if we keep everything bottled up, it has nowhere to go. I, I have to say, my accountability partner normally would be my wife. In this case, because my dad is so much involved with hockey with me and my son and so forth. But <laughs> Wait, you actually make a good point. There's more than one. Yeah. I think that's important too, is not everybody has the answers. So I call them my board of directors. So I have a personal board of directors and different resources that I pick on for different things. So... You know, we're really talking about this idea of being open and like what you're saying, these accountability partners are board of directors so we can talk about it. When you're working with couples, I, I feel like couples feel like maybe they're at an impasse. They don't, they don't agree on something and it could be around money. But I'm wondering if you've noticed this is that maybe some couples, you know, at some times like in, in your situation, enough is enough and you part ways. But do you think there's some times where we feel like we have to part ways that there's an impasse, but really it's an inability to see our own money stories. And it's really these conflicting money stories that we think are just about money, but I mean, they're attached to values, beliefs, and so many other things that if we went down into, I guess, deeper, darker waters where this, the beliefs and all these things that you're talking about live, that this couple could realize that, oh, I'm just missing all these signs and I'm not even seeing the other person as opposed to we're at an impasse, it's done, it's over. Right, 100%. There's so many layers to this, to our financial relationship, just like there's so many layers to our spiritual relationship or our relationship with the gym, right? Working out and exercise. Wellness and financials is part of this wellness piece. There are so many layers to it. So oftentimes we stop when the work really gets hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you both have to commit and put into it. And if you don't, there's options now to, to walk away, just like we could stop going to the gym. And we've, there are choices that we make. And if you want to work and get better at something, it's oftentimes it's small incremental changes. You might not see it every day. But by having conversations, I tell my clients to start with like a weekly meeting, but start with an agenda. I'm looking for a post-it note, right? Write it on the post-it note. And this is what we're going to talk about. And the conversation goes in 16 different ways. No, 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 Come back to the post-it note. Come back to the, the topic of today. Next week, we can have that conversation. So make it more bite-sized because oftentimes we don't have these conversations. So when we get into the conversation, everything comes out and it's like a volcano. And as you and I know, those conversations don't lead to anything except resentment, anger, and frustration. <laughs> Is another tip that I give my couples is come up with a code word. So when things get, before you even start the financial conversations, come up with a code word. I use pineapple, palm tree, right? I live in South Florida. So, you know, pick, pick a fun word that you know when you're hitting that point where this conversation is not going to be successful for anybody. And you just say, palm tree. But what that means is when you set up the word, set up how you're going to come back to the conversation. It might be, after 10 minutes or a walk around the block or after, you know, one song on the radio, whatever. I just dated myself. I said radio, one, <laughs> you know, like one song, but have a specific time frame to come back for because you want to have time to have space to process the conversation and come back with actionable things than just on pure emotion. Yeah. Thanks for this. I mean, you're really highlighting this idea that we're human. And we have these baked in emotions and money is a very emotional topic. So I think it, it helps normalize to people that, 
these fights, these arguments, this need for the one word is all of us can benefit from it. And it's not just, oh, there's something wrong with us if we're experiencing these situations. I've heard from people that it's hard to get into these conversations, like these deeper level conversations. When you when you held up a po- you said post-it note, I think it was one of your cards. It was, uh, yeah. Can you maybe touch on your cards? Because I think they're a brilliant way to your point, stay focused on a specific topic. And also the topics aren't, hey, how should we balance the budget today? So maybe speak about the intention behind these cards and how maybe just myself or a couple or whomever can benefit from them. So the idea from the cards came out from going out to the bar because that's where all good ideas come from. (laughs) And there was a couple next to me doing conversation cards. And that's when I had the aha moment where I'm like, so many of my couples come to me saying, we don't know how to start the conversation. So I came up with conversation cards. It's called Let's Talk About Finances, Baby. And it's just, I say gamify, but create conversations between two people. If it's a couple, a sibling, a parent, to create conversations. I just happen to have a couple next to me. This one is, is there anything that scares you about your current financial situation? How can I support you with this? Oh, the follow-up one. That is that nice. That one hit you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> How about this one? Right. And again, talk about being playful and not everything serious is if your friend did not repay you a thousand dollar loan, would it impact your friendship? How? Wow. Depends who, I guess. <laughs> right. Oftentimes I hear it depends who and what it was used for. A thousand dollars to go gambling might be different than thousand dollars to pay for medical treatment. Mm-hmm. And the who, your partner might not be happy with who the, who got the loan, <laughs> right? It's, it's all loaded with emotions. And one more, I'm going to ask you this one. How does paying your mortgage make you feel? So I've been really trying to dive into my money story the last five years. And there, there's an element of a shy kid who saw money as power and control and giving a voice. And so I found a fire, the fire movement like six years ago. And I was like, pay off all these debts. So when you, a part of me is like, that I haven't made it because I have a mortgage. I'm not one of these fire people who've just retired early. So part of me is like the little inner shy kids. My I call him Mr. Shy, my inner critic. He's like, ah, you haven't got it yet. And then another part of me is like, well, no, because I'm I'm enjoying life and letting it unfold in front of me, and I'm not rushing to this zero balance mortgage anytime soon. So I think it helps me understand that this relationship with money is a big dance and I need to learn how to dance with it because I got these two little things going on right now. One is like, it's okay you have a mortgage because you're now enjoying life. And and then Mr. Shy still a bit like, ha ha, you didn't reach fire. You're almost 40, sucker. Isn't that crazy? This is the roof over your head. Yeah, I know. All of these emotions that happen for us. And when I ask this question to people, some people are like, I love for me personally, I'm happy because it means I have a roof over my head for my, I'm a single mom with three kids, right? So for me, it's it's something that I'm very proud of that I'm able to do every month. And then you ask somebody else who's not in a happy living situation. Uh, it's a client who whose house was under construction and the contractor stole money and, you know, was really bad. For her, it was negative. Like I, I'm tensing up right now, right? It was like vile for her to pay every month because she hated the home she was in. So... We have money. Money is an object. It's just a number. But yet there's so much energy and emotion that's attached to it. 
And when we sit back and evaluate how and where we're putting it, we make life choices better. So if you're not in a home that you enjoy paying for, you might not be in the right space. It might be time to move or evaluate where you are. And it's just really interesting when these conversations get going. So Mm -hmm. I love when couples get together with the cards. You can buy them on my website, which is yourfinancialtherapist.com. They're also on Amazon, but I'm working on that listing. I'm having a little trouble with that. So it's best to pop to my website and the links will be there. Yeah. Okay. We'll put those in the show notes. They're great. And like your your question here is still like, I can feel like the thoughts going in. This is about you, but your card's triggering a thought here. And it's interesting about, I was such on this path of like, I got to downsize and get mortgage free. Like the goal was set on this mortgage free, which in hindsight didn't align with what I actually wanted. But I was doing wild things. Like we live in the wonderful neighborhood, kids everywhere. Our kids have friends everywhere. There's street hockey. It's It's amazing. And here I was trying to convince my wife and myself that we should downsize and get a duplex and we can be like much cheaper home. We even bought a place. We we're going to build it. Then the pandemic happened and things went skyrocketing. And anyways, we sold that lot. But my point is, I think sometimes if I use a sailboat analogy, like a boat sailing in water and the captain might be like, oh, I don't like this water. I got to get out of this water. Like go sail somewhere else. But failing to realize that the boat needs a reorientation or it's not necessarily the water that's causing the issues. There's something in the boat. And for me, I had to figure out why I needed to downsize and get no mortgage. And it didn't actually align with what I actually wanted. I'm done. Thank you. You asked me a question that evoked certain things and I'll turn this back to you. <laughs> Financial therapist means wants to be like, so yeah, I more, why? Yeah, I like, is, what was the end result? What's the path you're on? <laughs> and the curious mind of me is like, okay, let's do that. No, I'm back. <laughs> Okay, so the cards, obviously they work really well. (laughs) I've heard you say, and maybe we're doing that right now, that you merge and untangle money. Two things that are kind of opposite, merging and untangling. Can you explain why these seemingly opposites, merging and untangling, work well in the context of our money and your work as a financial therapist? As we go through life, we're merging money in different points. And this could be combining money with a spouse. It could be inheritances. It could be various reasons, partnerships, businesses, things like that, where you're merging money. At that time, your money shifts. You all of a sudden have a different level up, I'll say, or level down potentially, right? When you're merging money, it's generally a leveling up. You also have an untangling at the same time, because if you're merging, there's two partnerships coming together, two people. And when you're untangling, there's different money beliefs of what comes into that. So you might inherit somebody's decision-making that you might not agree on. You also might inherit debt or loans or liens if you're talking about property and inheritances. So when you merge money and untangle, they're all involved with emotions that come along with it. And the difference of inheriting money from a very old aunt at 97 is a very different emotion than inheriting money from a brother who passed away at 30 years old or something like that. So every time we have a life circumstance, kind of back to your waters, the waters change. And when they change, how are you going to handle the seas? How are you going to handle your money now? Are you going to look at it head on or are you going to ignore it? And oftentimes people ignore it because we don't have the tools to handle that change. 
So you've been running constant and all of a sudden the storm comes and this could be a good storm or a bad storm, right? But a storm is going to come. The rain will come, guaranteed. How are we going to handle it? And by able to have conversations, honest conversations, and being able to find resources like calling your dad or calling your accountant or a buddy to ask questions about or resources from the government, however you need, the seas are just going to get rough. The storm is going to be a lot harder than it needs to be. And I think that's really where financial therapy comes in is we're here as a group to help people navigate those seeds because they're going to keep coming. People are going to merge and unmerge money all the time. And to be able to do it in a healthy and safe way is so amazing to see happen versus kind of like when I initially said, you know, punch them when it hurts and, mm. you know, like just rough through it and get, get you know, you'll get there no matter what. Mindset is very different than saying, hey, what's going on? What's important to you right now? What needs to shift a little bit to help you through this period? What are you willing to compromise on? And what is an absolute no? Because oftentimes we don't have financial boundaries. We have boundaries in so many aspects of our life. You know, I don't eat dairy. I don't eat gluten. I, you know, I go to bed at 10 o'clock. You know, we have all these different boundaries. But when it comes to finances and our financial relationship, we generally don't because nobody taught us to do that. And we're not seeing it done. Despite we orientate all of life's major significant decisions from money. Exactly. It really sounds like curiosity, compassion, and openness play a big role in what you just were describing there. Those are great words, yes. How do you think you've recognized, whether it's your own journey or whether it's through the financial therapy work, that we can begin to cultivate this compassion as we start to reveal our money story, because in there, it's those dark, turbulent waters where that inner critic might be talking to ourselves like, oh, what are you doing doing this job? What are you doing leaving a company to go take on this? Who are you to be doing that? What have you seen that has helped people cultivate this sense of compassion that allowed them to stay the course when the water gets a little rough? I think compassion comes back to understanding that everybody has a different background religion, and experiences. So for them and their background, that might be normal. And I'll give a great example is working with a client who had declared bankruptcy. And in further conversation, he said, this is just normal. Everybody in my family has declared bankruptcy before me. So it's hard to say, well, bankruptcy is wrong. And why are you doing this? And they didn't know any different. And once he did know different, wanted to change the directory for his children. And that's why we were having open conversation. So I think that's where the compassion comes in is because everybody's coming to the starting line differently and their starting line might be different. And if you're a visual person, I think of like the racetrack, right? And like in the Olympics, everybody starts at a different spot. And so for compassion, people are all at different starting spots. We're hopefully all end up in the same place with the same amount of hard work and speed and everything. We can all end up together. But to get off the blocks, we're all starting differently. And having that compassion and understanding is important, which goes back to the understanding, is spending the time understanding your person's why. Back to the question of, explain to me growing up that you didn't walk, you know, and now all of a sudden when I go to a hockey arena and I see the store and you don't walk in or don't buy me a, a jersey that day on our date, I know why. 
it's not because you're being cheap. It's because that wasn't a value to you. And I might get a gift somewhere else down the line. So explaining why your things are important to you or not important to you or the background that you came from and having those conversations is important and would reduce the stress and frustration on the other side. Thank you. I just think that's such a great way to operate this journey we all are on, finding out our money stories, because if we don't have that compassion, I think it becomes become very rigid. It becomes competitive. Oh, yeah. And that's it. Well, that, back to that mortgage pain thing. That was me being competitive. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question. Yes. What does the word money mean to you? Money is change. First thing comes to your mind. Don't, don't overthink it. To be First seen, word. valued, and heard. Money, to be seen, value, and heard. Mm-hmm. All right. Everybody has a different response. Oftentimes I get money is freedom. Choices. And one of the best ones I heard was it's a scorecard. It was the most honest answer I had heard. Mm. This, is, this is fun so far. So thank you. But uh, the, maybe it's because you're in Florida and I'm thinking about boats and there's oceans near you. They're not, they're not near me. This sailor, what I think we're talking about here a lot, and it's interesting, is that if I'm going to destination, I need to know, of course, where I'm going. But that sailor needs to know where they're starting on their coordinates, I'm assuming on some sort of compass or whatever, to, to know how to navigate where they're going. It seems like we're really talking about not just the destination right now, but where we are right now is how we think and feel about money. And that's why you asked me, what does money mean to you? And my question here is, as I've dug into my money story and went and started to try to untangle these thoughts, feelings, and beliefs, I've realized that it's revealed more, I guess, I, I've noticed more of my authentic values that's helped me change the destination actually now. So whether it's your own journey, your client's journey, have you experienced times when people started, to use your word, revealing parts of their money story, and then all of a sudden the destination actually started getting changed or altered? Absolutely. So I work within a framework called SWAN, sleep well at night. Mm, And yeah, and so the S is to set a goal, kind of like your trajectory, right? Your destination. Your W, why? Why do you want to get there? Why is Aruba important to you, right? If if that's where we're sailing to. The A is analyze. And this is the part that I want to come back to. Analyze your facts and your fiction. And then your N is navigate your options, your tools that you have, the resources, things like that. So I'm going to go back to the A, the analyze. And oftentimes when we're talking about having a destination is we tell ourselves stories. I can get to Aruba in four days. Can you really get to Aruba in four days? (laughs) We don't question it. And so when you start analyzing your financial goals, we have to separate facts from fiction. And when you do that, it starts showing what you can really do. What type of boat can you buy to get there? We're stick, sticking with the analogy. How fast is this boat going to go? Can you really get there in four days? Or does it need to be 14 days? And the stories we tell ourselves then make us feel insufficient, a failure. But they were never facts. You never analyzed where you are today to get there. You didn't build the plan. So talking about the boat analogy, you can't set to say, I'm going to Aruba without a map and a journey and checking in with your and your um, coordinates. So how would you think you're going to pay off your house, you know, in 15 years 
without coming up with a plan and check in every few years because you're going to get off course. The wind's going to blow. There's going to be a rainstorm, right? Financially, you have to put a roof on your house. Something's going to happen that's going to keep you off course. You have to keep checking in on your coordinates. The same is with finances is you have to keep analyzing your facts from your fiction. And, and it might shift as you go through. Your destination might be the same, probably the same, and it might shift a little too. The time it takes to get there, the island over. So having that open dialogue and being real with yourself today, in the future, and in the process in between is so important, which brings you back to the accountability part is so vital into this, just like if you're captaining a ship, you generally check in with somebody else. You have a co-pilot. You should have the same with your finances. Not somebody necessarily to do the work or plot it for you, but to call you out on your BS and to challenge you and to celebrate when you do those little wins. I appreciate that answer and, and your process. I can't help but think, so my background, I'm a financial planner. I can tell you, we did not learn this process in our CFP program. We learned a lot about set your destination, and then let's, let's just find the fastest way to get there. This boat analogy, speaking of Aruba or whatever island, what I'm hearing you say is what's so important about this why and analyze side is, you know, I think there's would be a lot of disappointment to spend our whole life working towards to get or working to get to Aruba, only to realize that that was the wrong island I didn't even want to get to in the first place. I think that's where the financial therapy and the work that you're doing can help us really understand that why. It's interesting, and we might change topics here for a second, mm -hmm. but talk about planners, the way that men and women look for financial planners is different also. Have you, have you done no. some? Oh, so generally, I'm completely generalizing here, yeah. but men want from point A to point B, just like we just mm. talked about, Right. And, and women want the check-ins, they want to be heard, want to be part of the solution. It's almost like dating is what the article I was reading about on this, right? Is we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be part of the solution because we're problem solvers. And then we'll get to that destination. Might take us a little longer, but we want to understand the whole way through. That, that's the W and the A and oftentimes get skipped in that financial process to get in a rush to get to the end, you know, which is the navigate, navigate, but really let's say it's the end result and you get there and that's not where you want to be. I'm generalizing too. The male just wants to stand on top of the tree and be like, I do, look what I done, macho. <laughs> brains work differently. And again, we can go into that science as well, but brains work differently. And the, But the important part of the financial therapy piece is understanding your why. Not only once you understand your why, being able to communicate your why. And we can communicate it in lots of different ways. Some of us, it's verbally sharing with somebody. I want to retire in Aruba. For somebody else, it might just be have a picture of a map of Aruba on your wall. And when people walk by, hey, what's this? That's where I'm retiring, right? It's mm. a visual image. And some, it's telling a story about, you know, sipping a daiquiri, sitting in a chair in Aruba. Because we all think about things differently and our end goal looks different, even though it might be the same. I just think it's so important to think about that. All of this is because our time is so limited, really and truly. And you have kids, I have kids with, it just exponentially increases the experience of life. And what you talked about before is avoiding and almost distracting. I think it, we can fall into these 
patterns of distracting ourselves from identifying all these hidden feelings around money. But I think they can be quite revealing as we've been talking about. I want to ask a question about how when we're doing this work, financial therapy, or even any behavior change, actually, we learn something. Like we can come see you and learn something about our money. But there's a difference between learning it, like cognitively understanding it versus like embodying and stepping into that knowledge. How have you been able to see, if anything at all, financial therapy can help bridge this gap between knowing and embodying so that we can actually transform our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs and change the sails to meet the, the, the currents that are changing in the winds? We're really going on this boat analogy. <laughs> We are. I know people aren't into sailing. They've they've left the podcast at this point. <laughs> Next one will be about tennis. We'll pick another okay. hobby. So actually, I'll come back to hobby in a second. So yes. So is creating safe places for people to have these conversations, for making it feel welcomed and appreciated, kind of goes back to that compassion. And so when you have that ability to have a safe place to go to and and explore some ideas, that's when it starts feeling good and feeling comfortable. And when you start feeling good and comfortable, you're more confident. And when you're more confident, you start creating back to boundary setting, setting goals, feeling in more control. And when you have that, the roller coaster ride of life is still going to be there. It's just the dips aren't going to be as strong, the incline not as big. And so that's the part that I like to get my clients to is we're still going to be on the roller coaster. We're not getting off the right? Right of a lifetime. But we want to make sure that we're doing it with the dips and the twists and the turns a little bit better, a little softer. Mm -hmm. What was I coming back to? I just told you. Hobbies? You mentioned hobbies. tennis. Ah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So you talk about hobbies. We just joked around about tennis or, or we're talking about sailing. Financial wellness and your financial relationship is a hobby. So I challenge you, pick it up as a new hobby. And just like you would with anything else, Start with a coach, start taking lessons, start talking to friends or watching on YouTube or listening to podcasts. And like any hobby, at first, it's going to be small increments and it's going to be tedious. And then it's going to get easier and easier and easier. I compared this during COVID. I decided maybe I'll start running. Well, poof, around the corner. I don't like running. I live in Florida. It's hot. It's not fun for me. And there goes a woman just dressed in the cutest little outfit, just on her jog, looking like a gazelle. And I just was so upset with her. And then I realized, oh, that's how people think when I talk about money. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard at first. And I have to say, I adjusted. Running wasn't for me, but I just did a 60-mile walk for breast cancer over three days. And that was my goal. Right. I had to shift my sale, shift my destination to what worked best for me, but I kept at it. So if you're looking to pick up a new hobby, pick up learning about your relationship with money because it will be with you to the day you die, literally the day you die and actually afterwards, because what you set up and what you pass down for your family is going to be there. So the more you time you invest in it and have a healthier relationship and show boundaries and example setting of what a healthy relationship could look like for those around you, the better you're going to do for everybody. Yeah, I think just let that sink in that to your point, we're going to have this relationship till the day we die and beyond. And it's interesting, back to what we kind of talked about earlier is for many of us, we haven't spent time 
getting to know this relationship. And I think that's what I'm hearing you is offering an invitation to spend time to get to know your relationship with money. Do you find, and this is might be an opinion, but I've heard people say, no, I got things figured out. Like, I don't need financial therapy. I don't need to know my money scripts, my money stories. If there's someone listening, be like, oh, that was a really cool conversation about sailing, but I don't need to do the money work. What comment or observation would you make to to someone who may say that? You're not ready for me. Oh. Yeah. I had a hockey player. Actually, it was a hockey player talking about hockey. And um, he's like, financial therapy, I don't need that. He's like, what if I give you a million dollars? What are you going to do with it? And I was like, nothing. I don't want your million dollars. Here, I'll give it back to you. You know, <laughs> um, I'm interested in your mindset about money. And how do you feel? And he's like, oh, I just bought my mom a new car. Okay, great. How did that make you feel? You know, like it was just, he wasn't ready. It yeah. didn't click with him yet that money has an energy and has an impact to people around them. And even if you have an extra million dollars laying around, what is that money going to do? How is it going to better yourself, the world, the people around you? And until you start thinking about money in a relationships standpoint, you're not ready. You're not ready yet. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. When you are, I will be here. Nice answer. Part of me feels like there could be a snide comment and I, that doesn't sound like you, but staying back, well, it's affecting you anyhow. <laughs> As a financial therapist, what have you come to learn? We can hear that you really dove into your money story. You've had you know, these, these waters that you've had to navigate. How has this helped you as a financial therapist to sit with your clients, to hold that space, to see them, to bring that empathy and that compassion? Over the last few a number of years working with clients, how have you experienced that has helped you? I think that going through my own roller coaster ride has enabled me, or rough waters, has enabled me to have compassion and empathy because you don't know what's going to happen to you. And I think oftentimes in our 20s, we think nothing's going to happen to us, right? The water's smooth sailing, but that's not how life happens. And there are going to be rough waters. There's going to be dips in the roller coaster. Any analogy that you want to make here, <laughs> that life happens. And for me, it's just saying, okay. Whatever you throw at me, it's not the worst that I've heard. And generally, when it comes to money, it's all fixable. There's generally a way that we can get your mindset, your money, your relationship back on track with honesty, with compassion, and with actions. Obtainable goals. That's so important. Mm. Yeah, so you guys aren't just talking about this. You're actually taking those steps. Absolutely. I'm an actions girl. You know, I'm going to help you with your mindset, but I'm going to give you some homework and some actions to do along the way. I think that's great. As we come to an end here, I have a standard question I ask everyone. Before we ask that question, what, what, what's exciting, Erica, right now, whether it's in your work, in around financial therapy, what are you really passionate about right now? It could be in specific like your work. What excites you right now in, in your work with financial therapy? Yeah. So my work with financial therapy, what excites me right now is the corporate work that I'm doing globally is that companies are realizing that just giving a paycheck to people isn't enough, is that the understanding that they have an emotional relationship with money and that's impacting the bottom line because they're calling in sick. They're irritable in the workplace. So they're saying, hey, Erica, come in and talk to my employees about their relationship with money. How do we support them in those tough conversations at home? Life transitions, moving, adding, fam- adding family members, losing family members. 
how do we have these tough conversations so that way we can support them in the office as much as we can support that at home. So that's just really exciting that companies around the world are starting to see that as a conversation worth having and spending the money there. Yeah, that, that's great. I mean, companies give employees these paychecks all the time, yet we know how money's number one stressor. So that, that's wonderful work that you're doing. So my final question is, let's imagine you're at end of life. Doesn't matter the age, you're just at end, end of life. And you decide to go sit on this front porch that's looking at a beautiful view. It could be the ocean in Florida. It could be anywhere that brings you peace and ease. You're feeling content and you bring out your notebook and decide to write your kids' kids a letter on what you learned about having a happy, healthy relationship with money. What would be a theme to that letter? The first thing that came to mind is that money doesn't buy happiness. Surround yourself with good people and good experiences and find joy in the little things. And I really try to embed that in my life and with my kids. I think if you ask any of our family and friends that they will say that our house is a party. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we enjoy playing games and singing songs and, you know, doing karaoke or whatever. None of us have good voices, but uh, it's really about living in the moment and enjoying the people that are around you and investing in, in relationships um, it's also important to invest your money as well and and to have an emergency fund. So that is important. But at the same time, treasure the people who are around you. Mm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Erica, this has been a very enjoyable conversation. For people who are interested in hearing more about you, you've already talked about the cards. We'll link that. But where would you point them towards the internet if they're looking for more about Erica? Yes. If you'd like to learn more about me or schedule a session, I could be reached at yourfinancialtherapist.com is the website or on Instagram and Facebook under Your Financial Therapist. Well, we will include all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much for uh, spending the last hour with us. Thank you. I'm on a mountain without a top. My wealth is measured and now I spend my time. But now I ride freedom story with every breath inhaled. Money is not the boat of life, it's just the wind in the sea.